We're in, uh, we're in Matthew chapter 5. We're, we're a couple weeks into a, uh, a series that we're doing on Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And uh, those, those of you that have read that passage of Scripture before, you know that, that we call that the Sermon on the Mount. And what it was, it's a, it's, a, it's a group of teachings that Jesus did with his disciples, and he was on a mountainside when he did that. And I think I said this the first week we talked about it. Jesus didn't stand up and say, now I will deliver the Sermon on the Mount. That is a, that's a term we've given it later on. We've called it the Sermon on the Mount. But this is just, a, just such a, a, a rich group of, of verses in the Bible just to tell us about how he, Jesus expects us to live. And how we are supposed to live in the society that we're in. And so we're right in the middle of, of Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be uh, looking today at four verses. Verses 17 through 20. And I want to just start off by reading them to you. And here, here's what Jesus said in Matthew five, seventeen through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's some stuff in there that if, if, at first read, it seems kind of confusing. Uh, and so we're just going to kind of go through verse by verse. The very first thing that Jesus said in here that probably got the people's attention that were listening in is when he said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. And let me tell you why I think Jesus started off by saying this is he knew what he was about to say for the rest of this sermon. He knew what was coming up. And he knew that there was the, there's this group of leaders at that time called the Pharisees. And he knew that what he was going to say was going to make the Pharisees mad. See, what you have to remember is, if you've read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those the Gospels, which means good news. It's the story of Jesus in those four books of the Bible. If you've read in those books of the Bible, you know that there's a lot of run-ins that Jesus has with the Pharisees. That they don't like him, they, they plot to have him killed, they work with the Roman government to put him on the cross, and so they don't like him at all. But, but when Jesus teaches this in Matthew 5 through 7, this is pre-run-ins with the Pharisees. This is before he's ticked them off yet. And so what he's saying here when he says, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets, because he knows that what he's about to say is going to create some controversy. It's going to create some problems with the Pharisees, and he knows they're not going to like what he has to say. It's kind of like um, I, I did youth ministry for 10 years here in this area before we started this church, and, and so I'll have people from time to time that they were kids in my youth group that have now grown up and they're living their lives and, and they, they're out of church or, or whatever, and sometimes they'll get in touch with me and they'll ask me a question uh, about their life. And uh, recently I, I had one guy that, that got in touch with me and he, he wanted to ask me some questions and, and I knew that the answer I was going to give him, he didn't want to hear. I just knew that before I told it to him. He was, 
He was uh, living with a girl. He already had one child with this girl that he was living with, never been married. She was pregnant again. And what he was asking me to do was he was asking me to pray that God would bless them and bless their relationship. It wasn't a marriage. And so guess what I told him? I, you know, I said, it was, it was done through email. And I said, you asked for my opinion, so I'm going to give it to you, but I don't expect that you're going to want to hear it, but here it is. God is not going to bless something that's ungodly. And the two of you living together outside of marriage and having babies together outside of marriage is ungodly and God's not going to bless that. He never uh, got back in touch with me again. Because I knew he didn't want to hear what I had to say. Jesus is saying the same thing here. He's saying, listen, what I'm about to say, you're going to think that I want to do away with the law completely. And Jesus said, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that I want to abolish the law or the prophets. And then the next thing he said really is what got under the Pharisees' skins. He said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, the reason that the law was such a big deal to the Pharisees is because this was, the law was given to them uh, by God. It was given to Moses, and they based everything. All of their religion was based on the law and the prophets. And not only was just their religion based on the law and the prophets, but all of their society was based on the law and the prophets. So if you lived in that area of the world at that time, it didn't matter if you were Jewish or not. You were living by the Jewish laws because everybody lived by that. The, the market operated by that. The, 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 obviously, the church is operated by that. The business is operated by that. Everything operated by the law. And so when Jesus starts talking about abolishing it or fulfilling it, it was a big threat to the Pharisees because they were the guys in charge. They were the guys with all the power because they knew the law better than anybody else. They followed the law better than anybody else. And they tried to keep everybody else accountable to whether they were following the law as good as they were. And so when Jesus says, listen, I've not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. He, he's saying to them, I'm not doing away with this, but it's not going to be the same as it's always been. Uh, there, there's something that has changed our lives uh, in more probably than anything else in the last 10 years, definitely the last 20 years, and that's, uh, that's one of these right here, is a, is a cell phone. Uh, I thought about this recently. Our daughter, our oldest daughter, just moved off to college, and, and we took her there and got her moved in. And, and I started thinking about when I went to school 20-some-odd years ago, when I went to college, based on the, the difference then than based on now when she went to college. She has one of these. So she can call us whenever she needs to. She can send a text. She can send an email from it. She, she can get in touch very easily. When I went off to school, you could not make long-distance phone calls from your dorm room. You had to have, I remember I had like an AT&T card. It's the first time I'd ever seen one of those. My parents got it. And I had to go out to the pay phone, and I had to wait in line if there was other people there. And if it was cold, you had to stand outside. And that was the way you could make phone calls back then. But now everything has changed with a cell phone. Now you can call whenever you want to. You can call you know, a, a gazillion times a day if you want to. Some of you know that and you're wishing cell phones had never been invented because you're tired of getting calls all the time. But everything has changed. But the basic principle is still the same. You're still talking to someone who's far away from you by using a device. That's not changed. The, phone, the basic idea of a phone hasn't changed in however, ever since Alexander Graham Bell called his buddy, you know, 
Ben Watson or whatever. I don't know his name was Watson, whatever his name was. I think Ben Watson played uh, football for the Patriots at one time. But he called his buddy Watson. Frank Watson. Who knows what his name was. But he, the, the basic idea hasn't changed. You're still talking to somebody long distance. But a cell phone has taken that basic idea and it's moved it forward. It's taken that basic idea and it's brought it to a different place. And what Jesus is saying when he says, listen, I came to fulfill the law. He said, the basic idea is still going to be the same. The law is still going to be in place. But I'm taking what you know, I'm taking what you're familiar with, and I'm taking it to a different place. I'm fulfilling it. I'm taking it to the intended point of where it's always supposed to have been. I am going to fulfill it. I am going to bring it to where it's supposed to be. See, the thing that the Pharisees didn't understand and that the disciples didn't understand is that the law was leading to something else. The law was leading to something else. What the law was leading to was Jesus. The law was leading to the gospel, the good news, the cross, the resurrection. That's why the law was in place. The law was leading us to the good news of Jesus. And see, the the law is only useful if it leads us to Jesus. That's the only use of the law is to lead us to Jesus. That, that's, that's why God put it in place. And it's important for us to remember that today. Even today when we look back at the Old Testament. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. And you look back at the Old Testament and it seems confusing. And, and, you, and God seems so different in the Old Testament than He does in the New Testament. And that's confusing to you. And you're trying to figure that out. What you have to remember is, is that everything that happened then... And the law and the prophets was leading us to what happens in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels and the Good News. It was leading us to Jesus. Uh, It's kind of like we've just had all these babies up here. Um, A lot of you here have experienced pregnancy and given birth to a child. There's a lot of you men in here who've experienced living with a woman who is pregnant and giving birth to a child. Both of them have their challenges, all right? You ladies are like, oh, they're wimps, you know, whatever. Um, we are. Listen, I, I admit that if, if a man had to give birth to a baby, the humankind would have died out years and years ago. We'd have said, I ain't doing that again. That's what would have happened. But you ladies, y'all keep doing it, which is awesome. But, but the thing about, you know about pregnancy is not the goal, is it? The goal is having the baby. And so when you're pregnant, there's ups and downs and there's stages of that and there's eating weird things and there's gaining weight and parts of your body swelling up and all that kind of stuff. There's all of that. And there's mood swings. And, and all of that stuff happens during pregnancy. But, but pregnancy is leading to something wonderful, isn't it? The pregnancy is leading to the birth of a child, which, which that's, that's the goal, the intended goal of pregnancy is get to that point where where the, the child is born. The, the, the law and the prophets were the pregnancy of the gospel. The law and the prophets were the pregnancy of what was to come. That had to happen so that then Jesus could come. Your pregnancy had to happen so that that baby could then be born. Now, now, that, now that you've had a baby, there's not a woman in here that would look back and say, you know what, that pregnancy was a waste of time. 
Now you recognize that it's not where you wanted to stay. You didn't want to stay in a perpetual state of pregnancy. You wanted to get to the point where the baby was born. But when you look back on it, you realize that pregnancy was significant. That pregnancy was important. Why? Because it led us to having this baby. Today, when we're following Jesus, we, we have to look back at the Old Testament. And you shouldn't look at the Old Testament and say, I'm not ever going to read the Old Testament. I'm not going to study the Old Testament. It's a waste of my time because I'm a follower of Jesus. And Jesus came in the New Testament. And that's what the Gospels are. And that's what's most important. No, we look back at the Old Testament and we say, that's significant. That's important. That's not where we were supposed to stay. We weren't supposed to stay living under the law. We were supposed to be led to Jesus, which is what the Old Testament does. But it still is very significant and important because it led us to where we are today where we can have a relationship with Jesus. See, the Old Testament shows us how much we need Jesus. The Old Testament shows us how much we need Jesus. That's what the law was all about. It was showing us that we needed help. It was showing us that we needed Jesus. Where the Pharisees went wrong is they thought that the law was it. They thought that it just stayed there and that was all it was. And so they were like in a perpetual state of pregnancy, which probably explains why they were so grouchy all the time. And so that's the way they lived their lives. They weren't looking forward to something good that was going to come. They were just living right there in a perpetual state of pregnancy with the law and they were going to miss out on the miracle of the child being born, of the gospel coming, of Jesus on the cross and Jesus through the resurrection. That when, when, uh, when Jesus, I, I think Jesus makes the point so, so great in verse 19 and 20 when he talks about the, the fact that, that the Old Testament shows us how much we need Jesus. Look at verse 19 first. It says this, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments, remember that word least, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches other, others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, um, I don't know how many of you have read the Old Testament. If you haven't, go home and do it this afternoon. I'm just kidding. You can't do it this afternoon. It'll take you a while. It's long, it's detailed, and that kind of thing. But if you look in the Old Testament, you will come across, if, if you read the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the, old, the Pharisees, those guys called that the Torah or the Pentateuch. Those are big fancy words for the first five books of the Old Testament. If you read through those first five books, you will come across the passages where God gave the law to Moses. Now, in those passages, there are just so many different laws and regulations. Now, all of you are familiar, even if this is your first time in church, chances are you're familiar with the big laws. We call those the Ten Commandments. You've probably heard about those. Those are big things like don't kill anybody. Don't steal, uh, don't commit adultery, don't worship any other gods other than the only true God. Those, those are the big ones, and most of us are familiar with those. But if you read in, in, in the Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy where the law passages are found, there are laws concerning your facial hair, there are laws concerning your sex life, there are laws concerning what you do with your animals, there are laws concerning what kind of clothes you wear. It is crazy how detailed the law that God gave to Moses was. And so Jesus says here in verse 19, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments 
will be least in the kingdom of God. So he's not even talking about murder and adultery. Those, those wouldn't be considered least of the commandments. Those would be considered like way up here. He's talking about some of those really small, minute commandments. Things like this. Did you know that in Leviticus 19.19, 19, it says that if you mate different kinds of animals, you have broken the law of God. So any of you that own like a Yorkie poo or a cockapoo or any kind of poo dog, right? These dogs that everybody mates with a poo so that it won't shed. If you own one of those, you are breaking the law of God. Or, how about this, in that same verse, did you know that it says, do not wear clothing of two different kinds of material that are woven together? So look, look in right now, and your husband or your wife or your, somebody sitting next to you, look in the tag of their shirt. If it's like a polyester cotton blend, boom, you're out of the kingdom of heaven. You're breaking the law of God. You're right. Any of the least of these commandments. Or what about this? I, I've got to, I got to start doing this at work, I guess, because I don't know if y'all realize this or not. But anytime Don, anytime I'm in my office and Donnie or Chris walk into my office, I have to rise now because it says rise in the presence of the aged. See, both of them are older than me. So since I'm younger than them, now when they come in, I have to rise in their presence. Rise in the presence of the aged. Or, or here's one, here's one that's even crazier than that. How many of you have ever, ever been in your yard and you found something dead? Like, not a human, but like a rat or a possum or, you know, something. If you got a cat, anybody that's ever a cat, you know, a cat will drag stuff up and lay it on your doorstep like, hey, look at me. Look at how great I am. I killed this for you. You're my master. Right? So, if you've ever had that happen, and, and so i we used to have a cat and, and she was all the time bringing dead stuff to the door. And, and what I would do, is I would go outside and I would get my shovel and I'd scoop up the rat, chipmunk, squirrel, whatever it was that it killed, and I'd take it out and I'd throw it in my neighbor's yard. And I'm just kidding. I would throw it in the woods, <laughs> throw it out in the woods, and, uh, and, and do that. Now, did you know that what the law of God says? That if you do that with your shovel and then hang it back up in your garage without doing anything to it, you've broken God's law. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to take that shovel, you're supposed to soak it overnight in water, and then bring it back out, and then you can put that shovel back up. See, this is, this is the kind of things that were in the law of God. This is the kind of things that people were trying to figure out how they could obey that. And then, if you broke one of those laws, what you had to do to fix that, it involved animals and priests and altars, and lots and lots of blood. And that's the way people were living. And Jesus says here, listen, I didn't come to do away with that. If you break any of the least of those laws, then you're least in the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on in verse 20 to say this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I told you a while ago that the Pharisees, they were the best at knowing the law. In fact, they knew the law so well that they had it memorized. Did you know that the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that the Pharisees had all of that memorized? They could sit down and they could quote it from beginning to end. That's how well they knew the law. That's how smart they were. That's how too much time they spent studying it. That's how much time they spent trying to live that out. 
And now Jesus says to his followers, who were not Pharisees. In fact, they were rejected by the Pharisees. In fact, a lot of Jesus' followers had wanted to be Pharisees when they were younger, but they flunked out of school. They weren't smart enough. They couldn't memorize enough. They weren't good enough to be a Pharisee. And Jesus says to them, listen, unless you're not just as good as the Pharisees, but unless you're better than them, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. It would be like uh, we, our band was up here today. They did awesome. Chris Moon was playing lead guitar. Chris is a great guitarist. It'd be like if, if Chris Roberts, our, our worship leader, looked at Chris Moon and said, listen, unless you can play the guitar better than Jimi Hendrix, you're out. You're out of the band. You can't do it. Because Jimi Hendrix was the greatest guitarist ever. I'll argue with that you know, later. I know Dwayne Allman was good. I'll argue later if you want to. But... But if, if that's what he said, then Chris would be like, well, I'm giving up. I'm going to go home and burn my guitar and throw my amp in the creek because I'll never be that good. Or, or if, if you play basketball, if your coach goes to you and says, listen, unless you're better than LeBron James, you're off the team. Well, what are you going to do? Nothing. You're going to quit because you'll never be better than LeBron James. I'm looking at y'all. None of y'all will ever be as good as LeBron James. All right? You know, or, or let's say... You, you're, you know, you're trying to invest some money and you think you're going to you know, make a million dollars or whatever, and your guy who helps you invest says, listen, I'm not working with you anymore unless you're better than Warren Buffett at investing money. Well, what are you going to do? You're just going like, to give all your money away to charity, which will be great for our church. But that, because, because you're never going to be as good as Warren Buffett is, or especially better than Warren Buffett is at investing money. And that's what Jesus was saying. He said, you've got to be better than the Pharisees to get into the kingdom of heaven. So he's telling them something here that seems absolutely and completely hopeless. But the reason Jesus was telling them that is because he wanted them to understand. He wanted to make the point that we will never be righteous enough by our own effort. That's why we need the gospel. Now I want to say that again because I don't want you to miss out on this. We can never be good enough to get into heaven on our own. We can never... Righteous is a big fancy church word that means that has to do with how we live, how we treat people, what our attitude is, the way we speak. And it says that we will never be righteous enough on our own. That's what the law was there for. The law was there to let people know this is what God expects, and none of you can live up to it. There's not a one of you alive that can be that good. And Jesus said, the guys who are the best at it, which are the Pharisees, even they aren't good enough. The only hope that we have is Jesus. The only hope that we have to enter into the kingdom of heaven, to live the lives that we're supposed to live, is to allow Jesus to change us. None of us can be good enough. I'm going to ask my friend Hoss Brown to come up here. I've known Hoss, uh, I've lived in Greer 19 years. I've known Hoss all 19 of those years. Um, when I moved here, he was uh, in high school, and um, he had less hair then than he does now because he used to shave his head to look like a you know tough guy. He was pretty tough when he was in high school, I'll tell you that. And um, Hoss has uh, been a part of our church for several years now. By the way, Hoss is Roger and Jean's oldest son who prayed for Clay and, and Abby. 
And despite all the heartache Hoss caused them, they still wanted Clay and Abby to have kids. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I, I, wanted, I wanted to ask Hoss a couple questions about his story because the story of what God has done in his life goes right along with, with what Jesus was saying here. Um, Hoss, tell us, when you, came to, when you first came to church here, kind of what was your lifestyle then? How were you living? You know, what, was the, what were things like? Uh, I used to have an a answer when I would run into people, you know, like at Walmart or whatever, and, you know, Hoss, what you been up to? And my answer was always uh, working and drinking. <laughs> uh, basically, that was, you know, I kind of, the only limits I had on how much I drank was how much money I had. You know, if I only had a little bit of money, then I only drank cold 45. You know, it was uh, just, that was kind of my lifestyle. Uh, I kind of went about my, my beer money the same way I do my tithe now. You have to take that out first uh, <laughs> before you pay bills. Uh, you know, like Sundays back then, only thing that meant is I had to go to Tryon, North Carolina, to buy it because of the blue laws. You know, I knew it took 22 minutes from my driveway to get from here up to uh, Tryon. But uh, basically, you know, not, not just drinking. I, I always say that, that drinking didn't cause my stupidity. It just amplified it. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so that, that was basically where I was at. I, you know, I worked and, and I got drunk and then a lot of stupid decisions came uh, after that. Gotcha. Now, um, when you came here, you, you had been raised in church. You had accepted Jesus as a youngster. You just were living this crazy, you know, lifestyle. Um, so when you came here, you started realizing that things needed to change, and you tried to you tried to change that. You kind of made some attempts on your own. How how did that work? Actually, yeah, I made uh, I, the story the way I tell it. Uh, January, right after New Year's in two thousand and nine, uh, I was thinking about my New Year's resolution, what I wanted to do. And uh, started with mainly I wanted, you know, to have more money. And I knew that I stayed broke all the time because I stayed drunk all the time. You know, and I really, to start with, wasn't tired of the drinking lifestyle. I was tired of that lifestyle causing me to be broke all the time. So uh, I started thinking about my resolution. I said, well, I'll quit drinking. And then, I'll, you know, I'll start saving money. And then I started thinking about you know, all the stuff I could buy when I had money. And then I thought, well, if I quit drinking, maybe I'll go ahead and quit smoking. And if I quit smoking, maybe I'll start eating better. If I start eating better, maybe I'll start, you know, running and exercising. And, you know, I was starting to get, you know, real excited about how I was going to better myself and how I was going to do better. And then I started thinking about, uh, you know, well, I've, I've said this before. And, but, I, well, no, this time I'm serious. And, you know, that sounded familiar, too. You know, a lot of times you struggle with that. Uh, but I was riding around on my lawnmower. I know the youth group knows most of my revelations start off with I was riding around on my mower. Uh, <laughs> but after, you know, I was thinking, I was real serious about it. I was excited about changing. And then I had this, I was like, ah, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll pray about it. I'll get God to help me. Surely he'll jump on board with this. He'll, you know, he doesn't want me to live like I've been living. Um, so I knew on that Monday, I was excited. Uh, I was serious about it. I knew like 100% I was going to change. Then by, you know, this was like Monday. So by Wednesday, I was about 50-50. Friday, I just went home, got drunk, didn't worry about it until Sunday. And I woke up Sunday and I immediately started praying, you know, God, I'm sorry. I I messed up. I let you down. I know I told you I was going to change, but I messed up. But look, I promise I'll do better this week. So Monday... 
100%, I was going to change. Wednesday, 50-50. And I went through that cycle for six weeks. Uh, then that sixth Sunday, I woke up, said, uh, you know, I said, oh, God, I'm sorry. And then, and then I stopped. And instead of feeling like, like I let God down, I felt like he let me down. And I got mad. And I said, uh, you know, God, I've, I've, been, I've been trying to change. I've been trying for six weeks. I've been praying about it for six weeks, and you ain't done nothing. I said, so, you know, obviously I can't do it, but, you know, you're God. You can do whatever you want. If you want me to change, then you just have to do it yourself. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to, just to, to pass forward, you know, that, that next week I didn't struggle with up and down and 50% or whatever. I didn't even worry about it, but the next Sunday is I, I was in church, and I've been here ever since. So, so for you, the, the, every attempt that you made on your own, you just, you, you'd end up getting back to where you were before, but it was when you gave up and you said, all right, God, I can't do this. You're going to have to do it if you want this to happen. Mm -hmm. And then, and then what, what changed? And then after that, I mean, how do you explain that? What, you know, uh, how, how are things now? Uh, well, things are a lot better. I mean, obviously the, the first Sunday I came to church, I wasn't like, okay, everything's perfect now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a process of, uh, you know, I understood uh, the content the concept of giving your life to Jesus, but I didn't understand about having a relationship with him that you had to work on constantly, which is, you know, what I'm still doing. Uh, but, you know, I, I woke up that Sunday, and, and I know this is how God did it. Uh, I, I'll try to give the, the short version, but like that weekend, you know, Friday night I went to bed and realized I, I didn't get drunk, so I was almost upset about it. <laughs> uh, but my attitude was, you know, that's all right. I'll wake up. I won't be hungover. I will drink all day Saturday. Uh, but Saturday, I was the same thing. I went to bed uh, sober, and I remember thinking, well, I have wasted my entire weekend. Uh, but, but I woke up Sunday, and, and I know God. He said, you know, go to church. And I started arguing with him. I said, uh, I said oh, I can't go to church. I'm hungover. And I was like, well, no way. I hadn't drank all weekend. <laughs> uh, you know, I was, well, I, I don't have anything to wear. And I was like, no, they don't make you dress up at Freedom. I guess that's where I'll go. Uh, you know, and, and, and I, a matter of fact, I told Cliff when I got down here, he said, Hoss, it's good to see you. I said, I could not think of an excuse not to come, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, God made it really clear to me that it wasn't by my efforts that I got here. Uh, it was just, I know God knew that was the only way to get me. Y'all give Hoss a hand. I've heard Hoss tell that story three or four times, and I knew that that's exactly what you needed to hear today because what Jesus was saying is that you can't do it. Hoss couldn't do it. He's smart guy, determined guy. It wasn't for a lack of trying. But when it came to changing his life, changing his heart, that's work that only God can do. And when Jesus said, 
unless you're better than the Pharisees, you have no place in the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying there is, is you're not going to be able to do that, so you're going to have to let me do it for you. And that's why he went to the cross. And that's why he didn't stay in the grave. Because his grace, his love, his mercy is greater than our sin. And His grace and His mercy and His love is greater than our attempts to clean up our sin. It's only through Him. The Apostle Paul was a guy that understood what Hoss went through. Because he had been living a life where he was trying to do all that he could to stop the Gospel of Jesus. And Jesus decided, no, that's not what I want for you. And He stopped Paul in his tracks. And this is what Paul wrote about this situation. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. If there's anything good in me, it's because of Jesus. It's not because of me. If there's anything good in you, because of Jesus it's not because of you and if there has ever been a time where you were living a sinful lifestyle and now you're not it's not because you figured out the right system to get over that it's not because you figured out the way to beat you know try to outsmart it it's because Jesus changed you and I stand here no different than Hoss there have been things in my life that had a a hold on me like a vice grip that I couldn't get out from under and it was only when I got to the point and I said I cannot do this. I've tried everything I can think of to try, and I can't do it. And when I let Jesus take over, then it begins to go away. So this is what I want us to do. I want to have a time for you to respond. We're not going to have any music playing. Um, the band is done for the day. This is what I want. I'm going to pray. Uh, I want you just to bow your heads where you are. And I'm going to pray. And then when I say amen... If you, are, if you would just be honest and say, there's something in my life that I'm just like Hoss. There's this thing, there's this thing that's got a hold of me and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I can't beat it. And you would say, I want to just give it over. I want to give it and let Jesus take it over and let Him change me. Then I want you to come down here and pray down at the front. There's nothing magical about praying at the front, but I think there is something important about you getting up and making a, a, a statement in front of all these people to say, I give up. It's only Jesus that can clean me up. And so I'm going to pray when I say amen. You can come down here and I want you to pray at the front. It's going to be weird. There's no music. There's nothing to pull you down here. It's just going to be you having to make that commitment that you want to say, God, I give up. It's you. So let me pray. And then when I'm saying amen, you come down here and pray at the front, and then I'll close us with another prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that, um, that we don't have to live by the law anymore because we never could do it to begin with. Thank you that you have fulfilled it. You've given us a different way to live and that we can follow you now, that you've called us to be your followers, and that you give us the strength to do that. You give us the faith to be your followers. I thank you for what you did in Hoss Brown's life. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for what you've done in the lives of so many other people here today. And Lord, I know that there are people here today that they need you to do for them what you've done 
for Hoss. And so I pray that they would give up, that they would quit trying, and they would let you change them. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.